For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim, proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for dying the death we deserved. For taking the punishment that we had earned. And thank you for not backing away from it. For heading right towards it. For the glory of the Father. For the love of your bride. God, in this time of thanksgiving, yes, we thank you for the blessings, and for the family, and for this church. But God, we most of all thank you for salvation. Thank you so much for making a way for us to have a relationship with you. God, as, as Chad brings the word this morning, I pray that our hearts would be good soil, that as we remembered the price that you had paid for us, that that we could make the sacrifice of absorbing your word, of letting it change our lives. God, as you move us from one degree of glory to the next, God, that, that we would look and act a little more like you than when we came in. Use your word to change us, God. Holy Spirit, convict us where we need convicting. Encourage us where we need encouraging. Jesus, we love you so much powerful name of Jesus we pray amen amen thank you Jonathan well Pastor Chris and Tara are enjoying some time away in New Zealand so if they come back speaking some different kind of a accent you know you know why but they've uh, oh yeah thanks I like this thing you know they, they went to go visit their daughter uh, Shelby in Thailand and Chris was thinking, you know, it's, it's just a quick hop and a skip from Thailand over to New Zealand. We'll just hop on over there. He didn't realize another 12-hour flight. But uh, I'm, I know they're having a great time. I'm so glad they get to go. And I'm glad that we get to learn together in Matthew chapter 13. Y'all ready to dig in? Let's do it. All right. Turn in your Bibles, Matthew 13. We're going to zoom out just a few, just a couple of minutes to kind of, you know, find out where we are, why we are here, and what's been going on. So Matthew wrote his gospel, his book, gospel meaning good news, and it is good news. He wrote this book to the Jewish people to persuade them that Jesus is indeed the promised Messiah King. Now we need to put our, 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 our Jewish thinking caps, we need to think like a Jewish person during this time. Who was reigning over the Jewish nation at this time? Rome. So they were not their own nation. They were under the mighty thumb of Rome. And so a lot of their understanding of the fulfillment of these Old Testament prophecies, of uh, this Messiah king, they're expecting more of a general-type warrior king who's going to come and help them escape from the hands of Rome. So that's, that's a lot of what they're... In fact, Judas, I'm convinced Judas believed that. One of the disciples who, the disciple who betrayed Jesus. I think Judas felt that way. Judas believed that. Uh, so we are. So that, that's that's what they're expecting. This this military warrior, and then comes a a, a carpenter, and not just any carpenter, but 
a carpenter from Nazareth. I'm from Dry Creek. Anybody know where Dry Creek? You ever heard of Dry Creek? Anybody heard of Dry One? Well, that's because that's 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 your husband coached football in Deritter like, like 15 minutes away. Anybody else? I see that hand. Well, that's because I told you about Dry Creek. In, in, anybody? No one else knows about Dry Creek. Let me tell you about Dry Creek. It is a phenomenal, magnificent metropolis of about 30 people. It is a cow town. You, think, you thought Kaya was a cow town back then? Mm-mm. No, Dry Creek, we don't even have a stop sign. I mean, when you drive through and blink, you miss the whole thing. We, our post office is about half the size of this stage. I mean, there's just nothing to it. When I'm talking cat, we got more cows than people. I mean, there, this, that's, that's where there is. So when I, if I sit up there and say, hey, look at me, I'm Chad Barrett from Dry Creek. You go, so? Where? You know? So they're expecting this military general to come deliver them. That's their Messiah. And then there's this carpenter He's got brothers and sisters. We, we, we know this kid. He's from Nazareth? So Ju- Matthew is writing this book to tell the Jews, no, 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 no. I'm going to prove to you that Jesus is the Messiah King. And so he does that. And, and you've heard Chris preach through the first couple of chapters in Matthew. And when Matthew writes the genealogy of Jesus that proves his legal heir to the throne. And then in chapters... Three and four with his baptism and the Holy Spirit situation and, and, and his proof of Jesus um, overcoming the temptation with Satan in the wilderness. In chapters five through seven, when Jesus taught on the characteristics of the kingdom. Now, who else would know the characteristics of the kingdom except for the king himself? Okay? Y'all with me? And then in chapters eight through ten, we get the proof of all these miracles that Jesus is performing. Then you get to chapter 11, and that's when Jesus says, woe to you. He's responding to the Jewish, the the Pharisees, and many of the people who are rejecting him. And he's, woe to you. And then we get to the hinge hinge chapter, I call it, chapter 12, that Jaden did a great job preaching on last Sunday. This hinge chapter, chapter 12, just changes things. So the first 11 chapters, you hear Jesus, or you read Jesus saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's here. Repent. He says it over and over again. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of In other words, Jesus was ready to establish the kingdom right here and there. And Matthew says, look, believe in him. Here's a geology proof. Believe in him. There's a baptism of the Holy Spirit. Believe in him. He defeated Satan. Believe in him. He taught in the kingdom itself. Believe in him. Follow him. Trust him. He's the Messiah. Look at all these miracles. And then the the Pharisees go, okay, we see all of that. We even see the miracles. But those were done in the power of Satan. And Jesus' response to that, first of all, was that was a really dumb thing to say. Why would Satan cast himself out? That's stupid. And secondly, you cross the line. You've crossed the line. And not anymore do you see Jesus saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's no longer at hand. In fact, the kingdom of heaven is now delayed. And then you, and then you see Jesus, Jesus 
establishing this masterful plan and this mystery of the ages that Paul, taught, that Paul writes about, this mystery of the ages. And in chapter, thir- chapter 16, it's the very first mention of where, where Jesus is talking to Peter. And remember when Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And Peter answers him, you are Christ, the Son of the living God. And then Jesus' the response was, you are Peter, but I will call you Petros. But upon this rock, I will build my... Have you read that verse? Thank you. I will build my... Look, I know I'm up here speaking and you're way down there, but I don't like it like that. I wish I could just come there. This is just all of us being together, okay? So speak up. I will build my church. Thank you. Jesus says, I will build my church. And that's the mystery of the ages where the church, in the church, there is no distinction between Jew and Gentile. Because in chapter 12, it, it says that Jesus now is going to the Gentiles. And that was the whole ministry of the Apostle Paul, bringing the gospel to the Gentiles. That was, that was magnificent. But it's because the Jewish people rejected Jesus. And so the kingdom was now delayed. And then you get to chapter 13. Jesus all of a sudden starts speaking in parables. Why was Jesus speaking in parables? Well, we're going to answer that question, and we're going to look and see what these parables were, were about. All right? So here we, here we go. Let's dig in. Chapter 13, verse 1. On the same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea, and great multitudes, not a multitude, great multitudes, plural, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of people. And by the way, what kind of people? Were these Gentiles? Were these, these were Jewish people. Great multitudes of Jewish people because that's who Matthew was writing to, set with, uh, were gathered together to him so that he got into the boat and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. And then he spoke. Now, I, I consider this an intro parable that um, it introduces the following six parables. So this is an intro parable, and he's speaking to the Jewish multitudes, and he says, Behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and birds came and devoured them. That's the first soil. Second soil, some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. That's the second soil. Then he says the third one, and some fell among the thorns. And the thorns sprang up and choked them. And here's the fourth. But others fell on good ground and yielded crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. Now I want you to see that Jesus is emphasizing not just germination of a seed, but growth and maturity and fruit producing. Jesus emphasizes producing fruit. All right? And then he finishes that uh, in verse 9 with... He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And I think the disciples were going, why is he telling stories? Why all of a sudden this story? Have you ever wondered why Jesus started speaking in parables? Why don't he just make it clear? Why don't he just say clearly, I am the Messiah? Because he did for the first 11 chapters. I mean, there was genealogy proof. There was the defeating Satan proof. There was a miracle proof. And he goes, you know what? 
I'm going to start speaking in parables. And so the disciples were wondering, why are you speaking in parables? You know how I know that? Because it says right here in verse 10, the disciples asked, why are you speaking in parables? In verse, verse 11, he answered them, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries or the secret hidden truths of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. Well, that sounds harsh. Why would, why would they not be given the, the, the right to or be, be given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven? Well, whose fault is that? That, that just doesn't sound right. Well, but he, he continues, verse 12, for, he, uh, for whoever has to him more will be given, and he will have an abundance. That's verse 8, the good soil, okay? But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. That's verses 4 through 7, the first three soils. So sometimes we look at the soils and we think, okay, that person there is not a Christian, but that, 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 that one is a Christian, and, and, and th those aren't Christians. And, and, you know, what we do see is the first one, the seed was just nothing. Nothing happened. In soils two, three, and four, there was, there was, there was growth. But in the second soil, there's a little bit of growth, and it was gone. Third soil, a little bit of growth, and it was gone. Fourth soil, growth and maturity. But in the, the soils two, three, and four, there was growth. I'm, I'm of the opinion that soils two, three, and four were those who the message of the kingdom took some kind of growth and they understood it, but at some point, soils two and three... May they have, may they have trusted in Christ, but soils two and three, they didn't grow. Jesus' emphasis was on growth. It was on maturity. Never, ever, ever will you ever read in all of Jesus' writings and teachings and in, in, in the Gospels in the New Testament that it's just good enough to be saved. Now, being saved will get you to heaven. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He expects growth and maturity and producing fruit. That's what he expects. Look at verse 13. Therefore, I speak to them in parables because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear, nor do they what? Class? Understand. They do not understand. Now, my question is, okay, why do they not understand? How could they not understand? Look at the first 11 chapters. How, you know what? There's a reason why they understand. Let's keep, keep reading. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive, for the heart of this people has grown, what? Dull. Their ears are hard of hearing. Their eyes have been closed, and they, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their heart and turn so that I should heal them. Their heart has grown dull. They do not understand because they don't want to. That's the reason why Jesus spoke in parables. In other words, he's saying, all this time I've made it clear. All this time I've been with you. I, I have shown you, Matthew's writing this down, I have shown you who I am and I've proved it over and over and over. And you don't want to know. That's why he wrote the first, that, that, that's, that, that's why Matthew wrote down this first parable. These four soils were about the multitude of Jewish people.
In other words, Jesus is saying, listen, some of you could care less about me. You hear, and then you walk away. Some of you, you hear a little bit, and you like a little bit of what I'm saying, and you may believe, but then you just, you just walk away. Some of you, it springs up, you might have a little bit of joy, which we'll see in a second, but then it's gone. The distractions of the world, they choke you out, you walk away. Perhaps if you believe in me, you get to heaven. Yes, you'll get to heaven if you believe in me. But that's not what I'm emphasizing. Some of you, you really want to know me. Some of you really want to understand. And that's why Jesus is speaking in parables now. Only for those who truly want to understand. That's, what, that's exactly what he says. So verse 16, he's speaking still to the disciples, but blessed are your eyes, for they shall see, and your ears, for they shall hear. For surely I say to you that Many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see, and to hear what you hear and did not hear. Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. Now Jesus is going to explain it. Oh, this is good. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, because they don't want to, because their hearts are hard, their hearts are dull, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what, has, uh, what was sown in his heart. This is he who received seed by the wayside. But he who received the seed in the stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Now I'll give you my uh, attempted understanding of why it's received with joy. If you can imagine, if you think like a Jewish person during this time, you're living under the mighty hand of Rome. Matthew, by the way, was one of the ones that was taking extra taxes from these people to give to Rome and to pocket the rest for himself. And if this Messiah comes and says, I'm the Messiah, I'm the Messiah, the one, oh, 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 good, we, yeah, I, I, I believe in you, I believe with, with joy. But then, and yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. And here's the reason why I believe it's probably because of, of the Rome situation. For when tribulation and persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Oh, good, he's going to come and deliver us out for a moment. Wait, wait, wait a minute, hold on, I'm still suffering. When? Why? It hasn't happened yet. What? You're just a carpenter. And, immediately, and, and, and so, so he stumbles. I may be wrong, but this is my attempted understanding. Verse 22, Now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word, and, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes, what's the word? Unfruitful. See, there's the emphasis. He becomes unfruitful. Sounds like he was fruitful at the beginning. There was some fruit. But the distractions and the temptations of the world lured him away and he became unfruitful. Jesus' emphasis is not just believe in me and get to heaven. His emphasis is believe in me and grow and mature. And he's about to show it because these next six parables are exactly what this is talking about. So let's look in these next ones. Parable number one, in verse 24, another parable he put forth saying to them, the kingdom of heaven is like, he begins each one with that, the kingdom of, oh, by the way, there's bookends in these six parables. There's first one is going to pertain to something, the last one is going to pertain to something, and there's four in the middle that pertain to something else, okay? So there's bookends. Here's bookend number one. Here we go. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while men slept... 
his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. Tares were the kind of weed that looked a lot like wheat at the beginning, and so it was hard to tell the difference. You could really only tell the difference when they were full grown. Verse 26, but when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, why did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said, An enemy has done this. The servant said to him, Do you want us to go and gather them up? He said, No, lest you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow into the harvest. And at the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, First, gather the tares and bind them into bundles to to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Now, let's jump over to um, verse 37, because here's where the disciples ask again, okay, can you explain this parable? So let's jump down to verse 37. He answered and said to them, he who sows the good seed is the son of man. Who's the son of man? That's the easiest answer in church, (laughs) y'all. Jesus, he's the son of man, okay? The field is the world... The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom, sons who belong to the king. Those are believers in Jesus, right? But the tares are the sons of the wicked one, those who belong to the devil. Those are non-believers. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, not now, the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age. The Son of Man will send out His angels, and they will gather out of His kingdom all that offend and those who practice lawlessness, and will cast them into the furnace of fire. That's hell. Uh, whether it be wailing and gnashing of teeth, then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Do you want to understand? That's what he's saying. Do you really want to know? Do you want this? Or are you just going to walk away? So, so in this first parable, there's believers who will enjoy the kingdom and non-believers who will be in eternal separation from God in hell. So in the, in the kingdom of heaven, there are no unbelievers. Only believers in the kingdom of heaven. Well, that makes sense. Now, let's, let, let's, look at, let's go back to verse 31. Let's look at the uh, parable number two. Another parable he put forth from the saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which man took and sowed in his field. Jesus likes sowing in seeds, doesn't he? Which is the least, which indeed is the least of all the seeds, but when it is grown, it is greater than the herbs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and nest in the branches. What is the emphasis on this parable? Growth, maturity, producing fruit for the betterment of somebody or something else. This is the bird sitting in the... And it started out with the least of all the seeds and became greater than all the other herbs. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like. Growth. Which, not just salvation. Don't ever think, well, as long as I get there. Jesus is going, what? That's not what I... That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about growth. I want you to grow and produce fruit. I want you to mature. Well, what does that look like? How does that happen? Apparently, many of these Jewish people said, I hear what you're saying. Nah. No. 
Verse 33, the next parable. Another parable he spoke to them, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all leavened, till it was spread, so it grows, matures, produces fruit. So you see, parable number one was the first bookend, separation of good and bad, only believers in the kingdom. Non-believers will not, not be there. There will be an eternal separation in hell. Parable two, mustard seed, produce fruit, growth, maturity. Parable three, leaven, produce fruit, growth, maturity. Look in verse 44. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which man has found and hid, and for joy over it, he goes and sells what? A few things. I'll sell a, I'll, I'll sell a few things here and see if I can get... He sells all he has because he is chasing that field. So the kingdom of heaven is for believers only. It's about growth, maturity in Christ, producing fruit, not just attending church and being a spectator sitting in the seat. I checked that box. I got my spiritual duty done for the day. No, it's about growth. It's about obedience. It's about loving one another. It's about maturity in Christ. Jesus didn't just die for us to come and sit. He didn't just rise from the dead for us to... He rose from the dead for us to be, not just do, but to be a part of his body, to be with him. And, 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 he, and he explains something here. It's, it's, it's growth, it's, it's fruit, it's maturity. And then it's something to chase after. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. Then look at verse 45. And the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, he went and sold what? Everything that he had and bought it. The kingdom of heaven is like something that you would chase after with everything you've got. And we got to stop and think. It's easy in here on Sundays at 10 o'clock. But Monday morning, what do you chase after? What do you seek the most? These people, most of them didn't want to understand. They didn't want to know. We can believe and get to heaven. But the kingdom of heaven is a whole lot more than that. And then here's the last, here's the last book in parable number six in verse 47. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea and gathered uh, some of every kind, which when it was full, they drew to the shore and they sat down and gathered, in, uh, gathered the good into the vessels, but threw away the bad. So it will be that at the end of the age when the angels will come forth separate the wicked from the, among the just, cast them into the fire, furnace of fire, there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth, that would be hell. Only believers will be there. Look, hey, listen, only believers will be in my kingdom of heaven, Jesus says. Believe in me, but I want you to grow. I want you to, and I want you to chase after me because I will manifest more of myself to those of you who truly want more of me. This is what he's talking about here. 
Jesus is emphasizing that only believers will be in the kingdom of heaven, but he emphasizes more that fruit and that growth and that maturity, and he says, chase this. Matthew 6, Matthew wrote a few chapters before, seek first the kingdom of God and all the rest will be added to you, but seek first the kingdom. Do you think that Jesus knows what he's talking about? This means yes, this means no. Yes, I think he knows what he's talking about. And if he is telling his Jewish family, his own people, this is the kingdom of heaven, I want you to grow and mature in me, and I want you to chase after me with everything you've got, and I will manifest more of myself to you, that's where real life is. I think real life is just the mundane, Monday through Friday, go to work, come home, and go back to sleep, and Sundays we make sure we do our, our thing, and that's it. He said, in John wrote in John chapter 10, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but I have come that they may have life, and life more abundant. And that abundant life that Jesus is talking about is an aspect of the kingdom of heaven. See, there's an aspect of the kingdom of heaven, I'm convinced, is the future reign of Jesus on the earth for a thousand years on the throne of David. But I think there's another aspect of the kingdom of heaven, and that's residing in our hearts right now to those who have trusted Jesus alone. I want to show you something. Um, I want us to talk about this, this, this maturity and growth and fruit bearing just for a second. And I want you to listen very carefully. We, Christians, in this room, we know as much of God as we want to know. I'm going to say that again, and I want you to listen. We know only as much of God as we want to know. God says, there's a whole lot more about me. Do you want me? I've already saved you. You've trusted my son. Is that it? <laughs> there's a whole lot more about me I'm ready to reveal to you. Look, I, I, want you, I want you to look at John 14, 21. John 14, 21 says this. Jesus says, He who has my commandments and keeps them, and by the way, in this context, those commandments are loving one another. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. So if you want to love Jesus, love one another. If you're not loving one another, you're not loving Jesus. I didn't say it, he did. Don't get mad at me. And then he says, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father. Well, wait a minute, I thought, my, thought the Father already loved me. Well, that... That doesn't sound right. What else does it say? And I will love him and manifest or reveal myself to him. What Jesus is saying is, God the Father already loves you. You want to experience more? Chase him. Because God is not, look, God is not going to hunt you down and force his love on you. That's not love. You want more of God? You chase him. You seek him. James chapter 4, 7 and 8 says, Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Then he says, Draw near to God, and the response is, God will draw near to you. Believers in Jesus, do you want more of God? Chase him. Those Jewish people Jesus spoke in parables to were only for those who truly wanted to understand. How much do you want to understand? How much do you want to know? I think that's the message for us, the eternal truth. But there's also a message to those of you in here. You don't know if you belong to him or not. 
You don't know if, if, if you were to die today where, 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 where you would go. Some of you, are, some of you are, are mistakenly thinking, like I used to think, that I can just be good enough for Jesus to save me and get to heaven. I'm trying to do good things. Well, don't tell God the Father that you're trying to be good enough when he already had to send his son to die for you. That would be a painful thing for him to hear. So, in fact, there's bad news and there's good news. The bad news is about me and you. The good news is about God. The bad news is that we have all sinned. Romans 3.23 says that. We've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Here's God's glory. We all fall short. We never can make it. And the bad news gets worse. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of our sin, what we earn, is death, eternal separation from God. That's horrible. But here's the good news. Christ died for your sin. Romans 5, 8 says, But God demonstrated His own love to us in this, that while we were still sinners, eternally separated from God, Christ died for us. The word for is extremely important. It means in place of. It means you can pay for your own sin if you want to. That's by spending eternity from God, away from God in hell. But God didn't, didn't want that. So that's why He sent His only Son, Jesus, to pay for your sin by dying on the cross and he conquered death by rising from the dead and he says, I'm giving this to you. Will you trust me that my payment can be applied to you? See, here's where the good news gets better. You can be saved through faith. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, for, for by grace we are saved through faith, not of our works. That's what it says. For by grace we are saved through faith. Another word for faith is trust or believing in. James, I didn't see James. James over here. I didn't see James walk in and hold that chair up and go, I've got to make sure all these bolts are tight. In our path group Friday night, one of our stools, one of the, I think it was, it was Mike. I think, I think you, were, you picked up one of the stools and remember one of the screws fell out. Don't buy Ashley furniture. Anyway, one of the screws fell out and I had to pick it up and put it back in and we're like, oh, don't sit in that stool, you know. But James didn't come in here and start inspecting. He just went and he sat down. He just trusted in it to hold him up. My question to you, what are you going to do with Jesus? Who are you trusting in? Who are you trusting in to save you from your sin so you can be in the kingdom of heaven? I ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. Maybe you've been thinking, I'm going to try and do this good thing on my own. Maybe, I've, maybe I believe that God exists but hopefully he'll let me into heaven. I got the bad news is mm, you ain't going to make it. The Bible says, well, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me, and good works cannot get anyone saved to heaven. But if you believe that you fall short of the glory of God as a sinner, and you say, God, I believe that Jesus died for me and paid for all my sin and rose from the dead. And I ask that payment to be applied to me. I am trusting in Jesus alone. He can save you right now. Jesus gives you his everlasting life. It's permanent and it's forever and it's a top-notch life. All you have to do is say, I want it. I believe. With every head bowed and eyes closed, if you've never done that, if you've never trusted Jesus, you can do it right now. It's not a special prayer to pray. It's, just, it's what you believe in your heart. Jesus, I believe you died for me rose again to pay for my sin. 
I trust you to save me. I ask you to save me. And you do that right now. And I'd like to pray with you later and talk to you later. If you've never done that, if, if, if you've done that the first time today, I'd love to know who you are. No, no one's looking around. If you just lift your hand, I'd like to see who, who's done that this morning. If you trusted Jesus as your Savior today. Excellent. Anyone else? Excellent. And for the rest of us and all of us who have trusted Christ, do you want more of Him? Are you settling? Chase Him. He wants to reveal so much more of Himself to you. Father, thank You so much for loving us enough with a perfect love but to send Your Son, Jesus, to pay for our sin and You give us his life so that in turn we can start working on giving him ours. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Chad. Church, we love you, um, and we're so glad that you chose to join us for worship today. Um, our prayer is that as you go out that you would have ears to hear, that you would be hungry for Jesus, that you would be ready to hear from him and see him and to see his truth. Um, and as you go out, we want to remind you of just a few things that we have going on today um, and going on this week. Um, if you're helping with Night in Bethlehem, if you're an actor with a speaking role or a non-speaking role, if you're helping it all out as an actor in Night in Bethlehem, there is a meeting today after the third service around 1 p.m. We are going to feed you we're going to make sure you get a lot of good food. It's going to be great, but you need to be at this meeting if you're an actor. So if you have any role, if you're playing, you know, baby Jesus or anything like that, or the little drummer boy who was not, by the way, in the Bible at all. Like, we, if you're playing the little drummer boy, you have value, but you have no biblical backing. Um, but we, we, if you're an actor, please join us for that meeting. It's going to be great. At 1 p.m., we're going to feed you. And this week, as you know, it's Thanksgiving week. This is a week of rest so small groups, children's ministry, youth ministry, we are taking a break this week. We are resting. Enjoy your time with your family. And as always, as you give thanks, remember who gives the good gifts that we receive. And that is our Father in heaven. And so, church, we love you. I want to leave you with this verse out of James chapter 4, verses 7 through 8. It says this, Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Church, draw near to him this week. He is a good father, and he gives good gifts. We love you. You're dismissed.